My name is Anoa Changa. The Way with Anoa. Hey everybody, good evening. I know it's so much more important to be watching Hairspray Live or whatever else is going on in the world, but for those of you who are tuning in and joining me tonight, welcome to the Wednesday, December 7th edition of The Way with Anoa. I'm your hostess with the mostest, Anoa Changa. What's up, everybody? Um, I'm just gonna get right into it since we just started a little bit, a little bit behind schedule. Um, thank you so much to new Patreons in the past week. Um, I had a list with everyone's names. I will make sure definitely to tweet and shout you out on the next uh, show. Um, but I did want to say I noticed the little bump, so thank you guys for for pitching in. Um, if anybody else is interested, you can uh, you know hit me up on Patreon, Patreon.com/slash The Way With Anoa. All your contributions, donations, it helps me be able to do what I do. It also, um, if we get to enough money, then I can also start helping like to pay like people do things like editing. My producer, for example, who takes the time out after working all day to come and help do this show. I mean, you know, dr teamwork makes the dream work and dream work makes teamwork. You know, something like that, right? <laughs> anyway, um, a lot is going on right now. There's always a lot going on these days, right? It just seems like Either we're just so plugged in, we notice everything now, or there's always been a lot and I don't know, or there's a synergy. There's a critical mass of activity and engagement that's happening and we definitely need to capitalize on it. So I just wanted to touch on a few things that were going on and then we're gonna definitely get into our interview tonight with um, David Daly, uh, author of Rat. Um, yeah, you know, Rat rhymes with sucked. So <laughs> I dropped F-bombs, Rat fucked. Um, which is actual, which is the actual terminology. Um, we're talking about gerrymandering and redistricting, redistricting um, in his latest in his in his book, um, which is going to be pretty cool. So, but but a couple things that happened, right? So, so the first thing that's going on right now that I think is really important to highlight, and and I, I'm so impressed with the examples that different organizers and communities are setting right now. Um, Black Lives Matter Chicago had a series of um, trainings, community trainings um, for bystanders and other folks yesterday. I believe it was yesterday, and they're going to have several more. So definitely check out Black Lives Matter Chicago on Twitter, um, and 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 follow like. Uh, just make sure if you're in the Chicago area or if you're trying to get ideas for organizing in your community, um, maybe the organizers would be interested in sharing information with you. Um, and if you're interested in, you know, different trainings and stuff like that on how to kind of be, you think about issues, you can always, shameless plug, check out impactus.org because um, that's one, that's like one of the big portion things that we're looking at doing, helping to train folks, um, working with communities already on whatever training or, or structure they, they already have to, to be able to start organizing and, and getting actual policy changes made in their communities on a host of issues. But right now, um, 
what's really, really promising is seeing what's happening in, in Charleston, South Carolina, North Charleston, Charleston, South Carolina, with Black Lives Matter Charleston. Um, they are they put out a 13-point platform or really action plan, right? So if you're, instead of, you know, they're, they're having a protest, I think there's a protest action actually happening right now in Charleston. Uh, as we already talked about earlier in the week, there was the Michael Slager uh, mistrial, you know, um, that's all to say about that. But there are actions, there, there are concrete action steps that are being laid out right now. And we can help make sure that there are there are actions being put in place or sustainable activity that, that's occurring, right? Um, you know, it's not that I have anything against protesting, but sometimes we protest and we show up and that's great, but then like we still have repeat in the same same thing. So so in addition to protesting, they they're they're using all the tools in their toolbox. So shout out again to Black Lives Matter Charleston. So there is a thirteen there are thirteen different steps. You can check them out on Twitter. Um, their Twitter handle, I just had it, uh, is BLM eight four three. Um, they're they're BLM Charleston. BLM843. If you if you look them up on Twitter, um, you can find them there, BLM Charleston uh, on, on Facebook. And I mean, you know, they're asking folks to, if you're if you're local, right? If you're local in the community area, or if you know people who are local in the in the community area, they are asking people to apply to be there. There's a citizens, uh, there's a civilians police accountability board. They're asking people to apply to be on that. They're also asking for people to make calls to their, their council members and also to the mayor's office to actually, you know, revisit our earlier proposal about actually having some real teeth in terms of accountability stuff. So definitely check out, you know, some of the material they're putting out because there's a plan, there's action happening, and there's people putting it in motion. And it's really exciting stuff that's going on. And I mean, I, I, I often talk about, um, you know, shout out to Cara McClure with Black Lives Matter Birmingham. No, I know she she kind of, she's the one person I know, so I will shout her out. But there's a whole team of awesome people down in Birmingham also doing work, grinding, and things like that. So check them out on Facebook. Um, they, they're running... Uh, programs and working with families to address different issues that are coming up as well. So, I mean, there's a lot of action and these are just like a few groups I can think of off the top of my head tonight that are, are engaging in work around so many different issues. And this one piece right here, when we're talking about, you know, police accountability um, and, and, and more civilian control in, in these instances and situations. And, and this is something that, you know, it's really great to speak the language and, oh, I support, you know, you know, you can have hashtag Black Lives Matter in your profile. You can wear a shirt. There's there's so many great things. I mean, people get excited and show up at protests, but can you show up when people need you to actually get some meaningful changes made? And that's what we really need to start seeing right now. So please share um, and then see what you can do where you are. The next thing that I just wanted to touch on real quick was in Ohio, um, in Ohio, uh, Ohio, the state of Ohio legislature passed a six-week fetal heartbeat bill, abortion ban bill, basically, and it has criminal criminal penalties, basically, for doctors. Um, it, it 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 pretty much forbids abortion uh, at six weeks when you can hear uh, the the fetal heartbeat, um, which flies in the face of Roe v. Wade and existing case law. Um, it would most likely be struck down as unconstitutional. 
in theory, considering, you know, what may happen down the line with our with our Supreme Court. But um, NARAL actually had put up several groups, you know, right now are asking people to because it's 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 a bill. It's now gone to Governor Kasich. You know, the person everyone's like, he's so moderate. He's our guy. So it's 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 now up to him to pass it, um, to sign it into law. So either he signs it into law or he vetoes it. Or if he does nothing, it goes into law anyway. Um, so, you know, NARAL, other groups are asking folks to 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 call, to call his office. Um, we saw a series of tweets actually about a week or two ago that said that calls to legislative offices, to, to, to public officials to their offices, are the most tweeting at them, emailing them, calling them is the most effective. So if you can call, don't really matter if you got an issue with NARAL or not. This is an issue that actually is very important, um, but a six-week abortion ban is is insane. Um, if you don't personally agree with abortion, that's fine. But the restriction on the right is this is this is severe, and and your attention is definitely needed to to, to help boost. So these are little actions here and there. I also wanted to just let everyone know that I'll have a new podcast. So there's this episode and all my episodes are always podcasts um, available. You can check me out on iTunes and uh, Stitcher and Google Play. You can also check out my website, thewayofanoa.com. But I'll have a bonus podcast episode for you the week. This week, I'll tweet it out and you'll just have to see who it is. It's somebody really good. I promise it's such a great interview. But um, but one of the things that we touched on in this interview, okay, I'll just tell you, I talked with Seattle City Councilman Shama Swant. So exciting. Um, and it was a really great conversation. It actually went on a little bit longer than I expected. So it was a really good conversation. You guys will definitely enjoy listening to it. But one of the things that was just so crucial that she stressed, and this is actually something that I was kind of like, eh, whatever about, there is, you know, the large march in Washington that's planned for January 21st. Um, Linda Sarsour and others have been added to leadership to actually address some of the concerns that initially rose out of the original concept of the march. And it's rounding out to be a, a very meaningful effort, um, it sounds like. And there are going to be several, like DSA, several different organizations are planning teach-ins and other events. So if you can get to D.C., you know, part of one of the parting messages of, from our interview was, to go. If you can't organize a solidarity march, organize a solidarity event in your community, um, high school students, college students, the whole nine. So those are just kind of my little highlights for for the night. I mean, there's a lot of action going on. There's something for everyone. <laughs> if you have an interest out there, I mean, there's going to be a lot of work that needs to be done, you know, going forward. And and one of the other great highlights from that interview also was, was, was noting, and I've heard several people say this recently, that some of the most progressive you know, administrative actions we've had in modern history happened under Richard Nixon. Huh? We had the EPA, right? We had Roe v. Wade. We had so many different things that actually happened under Nixon. And not because Nixon was just like, yeah, I'm such a nice guy. I'm going to make it like awesome for everybody. No, it's because there was a critical mass of movement protests of actual people engaged, making sure these things came to fruition. And public officials, I mean, we, we can we can get upset about money and politics and things like that. But at the end of the day, they really actually do. If they're if the people are demanding and the people and people power are pushing forward, 
they do actually have to listen to you. They still may try and get around you, like what's happening right now with the North Dakota Access Pipeline, um, with 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 Energy Transfer Partners going to court, um, which is another you know 30, 40 minutes. We've, we've received some information um, about how they're really just trying to just push it through, do whatever they can. Um, because there's money on the line, right? There's a huge price tag. There's a lot of investments and they, they don't want to see that this delayed. They're losing money by the day. So, you know, that was a, a, a moderate success, I guess, in some ways, but there's still a, now a new fight and we just got to keep pushing. We got to keep pushing. We got to get, get keep grinding. But that's why I think our conversation I'm going to have with David Daly is so crucial, not just because it's a fascinating subject, but I mean, as we're looking towards you know, the next several years and planning out and 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 we've talked so much about the hemorrhaging of seats, the loss of of state of ground, right? In our state legislative uh in our state legislatures, governor positions, and we've looked at the loss of seats in Congress as well. And it's kind of like people are just now, when I say people, I mean Democrats are just now really starting to get like what happened. Um, but from just kind of, you know, perusing and reading through David's stuff, it just seems like this was a plan, and I'll, I'll 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 bring him in. But this is a plan. It was very very clear, and it probably worked better than anticipated. Um, and maybe had some side effects and stuff. But uh, I think David has joined me. David, are you there? I'm right here. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for joining me. How are it's you this evening? Real pleasure. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So you wrote a book with a pretty sweet title. Yeah. <laughs> Are you able to say it on a podcast? <laughs> um, yeah, Ben and I, Ben and I, every once in a while, drop the f bomb. So yeah, I'm a, I'm a, a, your 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 book gets my gets my one or two of the night. <laughs> but 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 this is David Daly. Super exciting to talk to you. Um, and the book is Rat Fucked: The True Story Behind a Secret Plan to Steal America's Democracy. And I was gonna make a joke about people, but, but the Russians must have been involved in this. <laughs> but um. But so so tell me, so I just wanted was wondering just like what 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 just like inspired you what motivated you to even take up this topic to begin with? I didn't understand what happened in 2012. Um, it okay. was a really simple. It was a really simple thing for me. Um, mm-hmm. Barack Obama is reelected in I mean, a, a reasonably good sized victory over over Mitt Romney and right. Republicans lose the Senate. The Democrats take back the Senate, and I could not understand for the life of me what happened in the House of Representatives. Democrats got 1.4 million more votes in the aggregate in the House. Republicans mm-hmm. held on to a 234-201 advantage in the House. Uh, it turns out that's only happened a couple of times in the century in which the party mm-hmm. with the most votes um, has not come away with control. Um, so I tried to f- say w- w- what happened here. And right. I came across a plan called REDMAP for redistricting majority project mm-hmm. run by something called the Republican State Leadership Committee, which is one of the major 501c3 super PACs that mm-hmm. um, are work closely with the Republican Party and elsewhere. Um, Ed Gillespie, who ran for governor of Virginia, was its chairman. I mean, Carl Rove is, is sort of closely in the orbit. And this was a specific intentional play. And it was their reaction to what happened in 2008. 
when Barack Obama is elected, when Democrats hold the House, when Democrats take a mm-hmm. supermajority in the Senate, and everybody's looking at the demographics of America and saying that the Republicans are staring down a time bomb. And they said, what do we do? And they said, wait a second, 2010 is a redistricting year. It's a census year. Um, every 10 years, going back to you know, the Constitution mandates this, if we can get all schoolhouse rock for a minute, uh, the Constitution says you have mm-hmm. to redraw all of the state legislative lines and all of the congressional lines to account for population changes and the like. Mm-hmm. Um, ordinarily, this is an incumbent protection game. Sometimes even both sides work together to kind of make sure all of their incumbents go back. Occasionally, there's a little bit of partisan sh- chicanery involved and someone tries to steal a seat that they didn't right. deserve or they try to get rid of somebody who is a, a, a troublemaker um, in this case, the Republicans use this as a blunt force partisan weapon, and they study the laws in each state about redistricting, and they say, how can we use this to maximize our partisan advantage? How can we take back control of state legislatures? Because mm-hmm. the legislatures in 41 of the 50 states actually draw these lines. So they they wanted to control every aspect of redistricting so that they were the only voice in the room when the maps were being drawn in 2011. And they do this and they pull it off. And the result is what happens in 2012 and which has been reemphasized in every election since. Right. right. Democrats get more votes. Republicans come away often with super majorities. They not only have locked in control of the House of Representatives for the rest of this decade at the federal level, but they have locked in control of state legislative chambers despite fewer votes in states like Ohio and North Carolina and Michigan and Wisconsin. Um, You were talking um, earlier about the abortion bill uh, right. is going through Ohio. Ohio is a closely divided 50-50 state. Ohio is not a state that wants to have a six-week abortion ban. But Ohio has a Republican supermajority because of the way that they draw these lines, even though Democratic candidates at the House level often get more votes. An unaccountable Republican majority is ramming legislation through that the people do not want. This is a minority run amok. This is very, very dangerous. That that is really puts it in the perspective when you're just talking about tied in Ohio like that, right? Because we, we again, like I was saying earlier, like we we go up, we see this thing like why do we we've lost so many seats even right now when we're looking at. Um, what's happening with the, the the presidential election cycle, which is you know over? But we look at the fact that you know Secretary Clinton has two point however many million more votes than um, than uh, Donald Trump. But you know when you look at the way those votes, those people are clustered, the way those voters who overwhelmingly supported her are clustered, it does not you know 
it doesn't help in terms of the electoral count, right? So everyone keeps saying, like, why is this happening? And it sounds like from what you're saying that when they redid the lines after 2000, after the the 2010 midterms, um, that that's basically what is happening or what has happened at at the state level is that you have certain voters being clustered together. Um, Except except clustered suggests... Okay, no, no, go ahead. Clustered suggests something that's often called the big sort theory, which is Democrats prefer to live among other Democrats. And we are clustering ourselves around like-minded people. Right. Um, Okay. I think that there is an element of that to this, but that what the Republicans did is different and more diabolical and more dangerous because the technology is so good that when they draw these lines, now they know exactly who you are and where you live. So, um, it does not matter if you put it this way. Um, it's not so much that Democrats have clustered themselves. It's the way that they've been packed into districts um, and carved there um, in the language of, mm-hmm. of, um, of some courts with just surgical precision. Um, and you take a state like Pennsylvania, for example, 2008 and 2012, very, very similar levels of support for Barack Obama and for Democratic U.S. House candidates in that state. Okay. In 2008, the Democrats win 12 of the 19 seats in Pennsylvania. In 2012, that same m- margin of victory, Republicans win 13 of 18 seats. So tell me what happened in between there. In 2010, the lines changed. It's not that all of a sudden all of the Democratic voters in the state of of Pennsylvania moved to Pittsburgh or or Philadelphia and clustered themselves. They were sorted they were quarantined. I mean, in many ways, this is a resegregation of the country and it's being done specifically by the Republican Party with an eye to packing as many Democratic voters as they can into as few districts as they can and taking the rest of them for themselves and then enacting radical policies that would not fly at any level if these were actually put to the vote. The emergency manager bill in Michigan, the collective bargaining restrictions coming out of Wisconsin, the Mm -hmm. bathroom bill in North Carolina. All of these are examples of legislation that the people of these states are deeply opposed to, but they have no recourse at the ballot box because of the way that the lines have been drawn to essentially take citizens and voters out of the process. The voting restriction and the voters' suppression laws that have come out of these legislatures is just another piece of it. So first they gerrymander the districts in in order to lock in their own party control and then they pass all of these voter ID bills or they, they, they pass the laws that take away Sunday voting or early voting or put in new restrictions on absentee voting. And all of it is designed to ensure that a party that has a minority of votes can control the government. And it is shocking the extent to which, and I don't mean to sound like a conspiracy theorist. No, but, no, no. Yeah, go but ahead. It is shocking 
the extent that we are a pretty 50-50 closely divided country, mm -hmm. that the Republicans have control of every level of the government at the state level and at the federal level. 68 of 99 legislative chambers, the entirety of the U.S. Wow. Congress, now the White House. Yeah. All of this, in many cases, with fewer votes. That's chilling. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 not it's not that you sound like a conspiracy theorist. Like I'm like clearly, if you look at if you look at what happened, if if someone I'm sure someone has like if you map it and you look at the difference. I think uh, a point I saw that you had made previously was that you know when you look at the, like you said earlier the difference in the technology, right? Um, I believe it was like from 1990 to 2000 to 2000 2010. Like it's just changed so drastically. Um, I have a little bit of proficiency with like GIS and stuff, and, and you you can you can get very very precise now right and before they probably were still like hand drawing maps and things like that they were. even in 1990 even in 2000 oh, wow. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so they were still they were still like actual hand drawing lines. you know i mean uh, you know sometimes i say they that they, they were in the horse and buggy era from 1790 <laughs> almost all the way until uh, 2000 and then 2010 it goes from horse and buggy into a rocket ship i mean Remember how we texted in 2000? Like yes. every number represented three different letters and you had to sort of wait and push and go. That's what it was like to, to be drawing a map. And suddenly in 2010, these map makers have such sophisticated technology that they can use to draw these lines. But more importantly, they've got all of this information about us. Some of it that we willingly give up every time we go online and web surf or every time mm -hmm. we like something on Facebook. Um, some of which is magazine subscriptions, some of which comes from the census, some of which, uh, you know, is, is simply demographic based on on zip codes or TV shows you watch or the things you purchase. And right. all of this can be loaded onto a program called Maptitude that mm -hmm. most legislatures use to draw these districts. And when you look at what they can do... Um, and then they add into this essentially all of the public record databases. So voting records, which elections do you vote in? And then you can compare those blocks to what were the results in that precinct? What were the results all the way down ballot? You can have a really good sense of how a district is going to perform going out over the course of the next decade, simply by using predictive algorithms. Oh wow! So, so we touched on we touched on a couple of different states. We touched on some of the states that actually ended up being important. You know, this election cycle. We talked about Pennsylvania, um, Ohio, Wisconsin. Um, but just like, just, just I want to take, go back for a second. Like, 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 how did we get here, though? Right? Like, how did how did how did no one see this coming? Uh, I mean, like. <laughs> like it just seems like this would kind of be like I don't know how were the Republicans able to pull this off without any type of real great I don't know it's opposition or I wish I had a better answer <laughs> than um <laughs> because I asked it of lots and lots of Democrats right right um none of them I mean I asked it of Democrats even. This last week, I'm working on a new chapter for the paperback, and I was talking to some of the top Democrats, oh, cool. and they still sound a little bit shell-shocked by it. I think what happened is this. Um, 
like I said, gerrymandering had gone back to the beginning of the republic. So right. w- when the Republicans came up with a new way to do this, it just never occurred to the Democrats that the rules were changing. Sometimes a paradigm can shift right underneath you and you don't even recognize it. Mm. Um, and the technology became so powerful that as a result, it could get locked in. The Democrats in 2010 were still playing by the old rules of redistricting. Okay. They collected a lot of money for court challenges after the fact. They bought, they, they had their lawyers ready for, for election challenges. And the Republicans were no longer playing that game. The Republicans were doing something completely different. They were, fighting for control of legislative chambers, and then they were going to spend the next year drawing lines that the Democrats could not win on. And I don't think that the Democrats even realized until the following year exactly how damaged they were. Mm -hmm. Um, It's their own fault. Um, Carl Rove writes an op-ed piece in the Wall Street Journal in March of 2010 in which he says, when you draw the lines, you make the rules. And he lays out the Republican plan. Oh, He says, we are going to take back control through redistricting. Um, he names some of the specific communities in which the Republicans are going to go and win state representative races. Mm-hmm. And he says this. If we can win 104 specific state representative races, we will have complete control over the drawing of 193 of the 435 congressional districts. There's only only 218 for for a majority. So so if you can draw 193 on your own, that is a pretty good head start. Um, I don't know what the Democrats were doing on the day that that op-ed gets written, but I didn't get the Wall Street Journal. Uh, that's not what they were reading. I mean, Rove lays out the plan. I mean, I wrote a book called Rat Fucked, and the only the only word I regret in that title is secret, um, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. it was in the Wall Street Journal what they were going to do, and the Democrats fell asleep at the wheel. It's political malpractice, and it has cost them the last decade. I mean. Barack Obama's domestic agenda ended on election day in 2010. He was not able to get anything through the Republican House for the last six years. And now what we have is complete Republican control of the government and look out because they are going to get to work and they are going to pass everything that they've always said that they were going to pass if they had complete control. The problem is they have zero mandate for the radical agenda that they're about to impose. Right. Right. Um, and just, just kind of this, this, this conversation we're having, I mean, obviously again, it's, it's important because we're in an election cycle, but we're also looking at this sets the tone. What happened in 2010, you know, it sets the stage for what's happening now, 2012, now 2018, but then we'll look at, we'll, we'll be facing this situation again in 2020. And I don't know from, from any of your conversation or anything, does it seem like, Democrats are in a better, I don't know, maybe position to, to possibly try to start countering some of this when, when the conversation comes up again in 2020. 
I, you said they were shell that people are shell shocked, and I mean, obviously, it's just it's been a very interesting election cycle. But but does it seem like people are actually getting it enough to start planning? Because it definitely seems like the, the Republicans have have planned, right? I I when I'm reading, you know, you talk about how they invested money. And in, in, in state, you know, state and local elections in such a way to make sure that people had the support, right, to run at that level, to be able to even have that influence and stuff. And we haven't necessarily seen the same thing so far on the Democratic side. I mean, they're not going to be able to just repeat what the Republicans did. It's going to take something more um, than just doing what they did, you know, six years ago. Yes. And that's the problem. Um, the Democrats are working on a plan. Uh, mm -hmm. Barack Obama has called fixing redistricting his top political priority after he leaves the White House. Um, he started a group with former Attorney General Eric Holder um, mm -hmm. that is going to attempt to be sort of the umbrella organization for all of the Democratic redistricting efforts going into 2020. It also includes the, the Governors Association, the DCCC. Okay. Um, so they are aware of it and they're thinking about it and they're working on it. Um, but it is a really uphill fight. Um, and, and this is why, um, the Republicans had the element of surprise working for them in 2010. Mm -hmm. The Democrats are not going to have the element of surprise in 2018 or in 2020 when they try to do this. Um, the Democrats announced something called Advantage 2020 that they said they were going to put up $75 million for. Republicans said, yeah, that's great. We're going to run a red map at 2020, and we've got $125 million for it. So they are in all likelihood going to be outspent. And they also have the incredible challenge of having to win on these very tilted maps. Right. Democrats in 2016, they targeted 32 state house and state senate seats that they wanted to flip in the six key states of Michigan, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Florida, Ohio, and Wisconsin. They mm -hmm. managed to win just eight of them. Uh, so the strategy is not going to work if it is simply let's replicate what the Republicans did. It's also going to get very expensive. Um, right. Republicans pulled this off for $30 million in 2010. It was it was the political heist of the century. Um, you had some state Senate seats in this last cycle that were going for, for upwards of $2 million. Oh, wow. So this is hard. And let's just talk about it from the small d, a Democratic agenda for, for a moment. It's not good for democracy when a state Senate race is a nationalized $2 million negative yeah. brutal race. You know, what kind of candidates can run for that? What happens when you have to raise that much money to run locally? It's, it's not a good thing. Um, the other problem for the Democrats is so many of these chambers are just beyond hope. Mm. Wisconsin, for example, Democratic uh, Democrats often get more votes at the assembly level in Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. It's 64-35 Republicans. You're not going to change the Wisconsin assembly in the next uh, two cycles. So your only hope there is going to be to win somehow the governor's race in Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing in Michigan. It's the same okay. thing in Ohio. You're not going to be able to 
have an impact at the legislative level, it's gone. It's hopeless. Um, it would be a waste of money. The only hope in those states is to, in 2018, win governor's races because the governors in all of those states, with the exception of North Carolina, the governors can veto plans. Um, they can veto maps that are drawn by the legislature. It would okay. at least ensure less bad maps um, or it would ensure that the maps have to go into the courts and judges tend to draw fairer maps than partisan legislators. Right. The other hope would be the courts. Um, and whenever these maps have ended up in court, they have lost. They've been challenged in Wisconsin, in Florida, in North Carolina, in Virginia. Every single time judges say, uh-uh, you went way too far. This is not okay. And they have either thrown them out They've they've forced new districts to be drawn. Right. Some fascinating cases that are are heading to the courts now. It could be that the Republican overreach on partisan gerrymandering in 2010 and 2011 finally gets us what we've needed for decades, which is a Supreme Court ruling that defines a standard of partisan gerrymandering that says you can't do this. It's bad for democracy and it can't happen. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, like, like I, I had a long argument earlier in the week um, on uh, there's a two cases, one out of North Carolina and one out of Virginia. There also was another case recently, and it came out of Wisconsin. And North Carolina, it's, it's just trying to keep all these different cases. It's been it's been kind of wild too because North Carolina, um, there there's this case that that's at the at the Supreme Court right now. Um, Bethune Hill, I believe, is the Virginia case. Yes. And uh, what's uh, just slipped my mind? I yeah. just had it. Well, all of these cases. It's McCory. Yeah, it's McCory yeah. v. Harris is the, is the North Carolina case. McCory, who is no longer is about to not be governor anymore. Uh, but, um, <laughs> small but these, victory, right? Yeah, small victory. I mean, there, there was I'll some small. It. There's some small good. I, I did, well, the fact that he just finally just dropped the, the ridiculous incessant recounts was 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 good and conceded. I didn't think he was going to. I thought he was going to. I thought they were going to pack that court and. Yeah, I yeah, I thought so too. Something must have happened. But that's a whole nother conspiracy of mine. Putin's doing everything. Putin is doing everything. He's pulling all the pulling all the strings everywhere. But yeah. but so, so with, with these with these two cases that that are happening right now, it's it's just like we, we just talked about partisan gerrymandering, um, and there was a Wisconsin case, I guess that that the people are paying attention to because that possibly may have, like you were just saying, finally an actual, it may force the court to actually make a decision yeah. and actually have a, a finally a standard um, to, to, to rely on, right? Um, but with these two cases, you know, right now, they're, 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 the allegations involve racial gerrymandering. Um, and like you were talking about the packing, not necessarily clustering, which which I appreciate the the, the clear. I'm thinking in my head like, well, that's what it sounds like. But but the packing, right? The the the, the, the intentional sorting of of folks into smaller districts to basically dilute. It sounds like diluting their voting power overall. Mm-hmm. And so it seems like the allegation in these two cases is the fact that. Um, Black voters basically have been clustered. Well, not cl- I keep wanting to say clustered. <laughs> have been packed. Yes. Into a, a certain number of districts, which you know they you you you'll have the majority in those specific districts. But in terms of the state overall, it's 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 
it's diluted. It's minimized. It's, it's really complicated because the courts and the Voting Rights Act, mm-hmm. you know, right? The Voting Rights Act wants to encourage um, minority representation wherever it's possible, and to be sure that all of these states, especially southern states where there have been historically large African American electorates that have not been represented. Right. Um, so the Voting Rights Act is designed to ensure that there is representation. Um, crafty Republican partisans have taken that and tried to use it for their own political advantage, mm-hmm. which is to say when they pack as many minority voters into one district as they can, they say, oh, no, no, we're not trying to um, uh, pack voters into into as few districts as we can. We're trying to ensure minority representation under mm-hmm. the Voting Rights Act. Um, the trouble is that there's an entire email trail in these states in which it's really, really clear that what they are trying to do um, is, in fact, use racial demographics to pull off a partisan gerrymander. Um, and Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's always a balancing act for legislatures in the courts when they're drawing lines. How do you use the Voting Rights Act and how mm-hmm. do you interpret it? Um, what the Republicans have done is to try to interpret it for their own advantage, which generally does not have much in common with encouraging minority representation. They are trying to ensure that they can bleach as many surrounding districts as white as they can so that they can take the rest of them. Um, And it's been a very effective strategy, um, you know, starting in the 1990s and, and it's only, it's only gotten more effective in the last decade. Wow. Um, so just, um, so we're, cl- we're running, running low on time here, but I just want to know what were some of the major takeaways from your book? And as you're looking, you said you're adding another chapter for the, um, for the paperback edition. Um, what are some of your major takeaways from, from all this? And then like thoughts looking forward. It's how quickly democracy disappears. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I mean, we are a 50, 50 country. We are closely divided all of these elections have come down to, you know, 10,000 votes in Michigan, 20,000 votes in Wisconsin. Right. Um, and yet Republicans have got the power in two thirds of our state uh, uh, capitals and pretty much 100% in Washington. And this is not a mistake. Um, Democrats, if they want to do something about this, if they care about the idea of small d democracy, Voter turnout in 2018 in the midterm elections is key. Understanding what is at stake down ballot is really essential as we see how mm-hmm. all of these gerrymandered legislatures have pushed through extreme radical legislation that go too far. But the, but because they are insulated from the voters, there is no there's no consequence. Um, and when our 
when our elected officials are insulated from the effects of the ballot box, that to me is an extraordinarily dangerous situation. And what I fear is that these lines at the state level and at the national level are so stout that in 2018, people are going to turn out that there's going to be a huge backlash against this kind of radical legislation and what will be coming out of Washington over the next couple of years, and that it might not make a difference, that it might, that you could have a couple million more votes for Democratic House candidates, and it Mm -hmm. would not flip the chamber back, and that we could be looking at four more years of this. And then you go into the all-important census year of 2020. Right. If Democrats can't fix their problem in state legislatures in 2020, if they don't have a seat at the table in the redistricting that will take place following that election, this goes on for another decade. And then you're looking at 2031 before you can do anything about it. Um, So I don't mean to be ringing alarm bells and to be the Paul Revere of gerrymandering, but we have got to be serious about this. We've got to be looking at it now Uh, Because there are two election cycles left. The algorithms, the computing power that that, that they used in 2010, it's only going to be better in in 2020. So if we think that that, – if we think that anything is going to save us other than really, really aggressive voter turnout and deep awareness – and real understanding of the connection between the way district lines are drawn and the kinds of policy outcomes we get and don't want, we have to make that connection. Absolutely. And I don't don't even think you're ringing the alarm or being alarmist. I mean, clearly that wake up call is absolutely needed. I mean, it's just so it's so timely like I said and so on point what you said about making sure and understanding the importance and value of those down ballot races of of building that 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 critical mass and 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 force basically at the state and local level making sure voter turnout um even maybe even doing some tours just helping to do some education like this is really what's at stake getting communities active and engaged and involved um, and I've seen so many people who are who are asking questions like, how do we do this? What do we do? Like, how can we help? And it just really seems like we're going to need it, whether it's the party doing it, whether we have different volunteers and and hopefully, you know, President Obama and Eric Holder's endeavors will be successful. But so. but it really I, it, I just think my own takeaway, um, just having kind of like, you know, as a grassroots type of person just from the outside this entire election cycle I mean, we really need people to be continuously engaged and, and it's hard because real life, right? But we need people to be actually engaged in the process. I know a lot of folks have checked out over the years because they don't feel like it represents them. But like you've just, you, you've laid out the case. Like you've laid it out, like what happens, not only when um, the party's not necessarily paying attention to what the other side is doing or how, like you said, the rules have changed, but what happens when people you know, have, have like stopped engaging in the process. The other um, side wins. I mean, yeah, they, that's the amazing piece of this right now is that Republicans want to destroy your faith that government can do things that matter. Um, 
and so they destroy the government when they're in charge and as a result it harms people's faith in the system and in elections um so they yeah. win either way that they win when they um get the policy outcomes they want and when they don't get the policy outcomes they want they are still able to sort of uh as they've said in, in many points of time drown the baby in the bathtub um mm -hmm. And when we check out because we're frustrated by the system that they are grinding to a halt, they win. Right. Right. Well, thank you so much for 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 joining me this evening. Um, I'd love to talk to you again after you finish the chapter and the and we get updated. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. Because this is this is this is like really really again it's it's not just the fact that it's timely but it's like so crucial because we are in this moment where people are starting to try and figure out okay um you know party versus various folks are trying to figure out what, what strategically is going to be done but you have a you, have, you do have this growing energy amongst you know community activists amongst grassroots volunteers amongst people who just care about what's going on right and and i think that you know conversations like this and definitely your book everyone go check it out it's 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 pretty rad um, I'm slipping into my Saved by the Bell lingo here, but but seriously, it's it's it has the asterisk for 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 the U and the C, but it's rat fucked. Um, the true story behind the secret plan to steal America's democracy, and as you know, David has said, it wasn't really even a secret. It was it was right there. There there are things happen, hit being hidden in plain sight, and and we need to have you know the foresight and where we'll fall to, to, to address it so again appreciate you so much thank you for joining me tonight it was awesome thank you for having me I appreciate it awesome definitely i'll be in touch bye so that is the show for tonight i mean i really wanted to spend most of the time having this conversation because it's absolutely relevant it's absolutely on point again there are two cases pending right now um at the supreme court there is a case uh at what wisconsin at the at the federal at the i think it's at the district level i don't think it was appealed um in terms of the, their their political uh, uh redistricting um there is another there is another case in north carolina where they have to actually redraw lines for some of their districts so there's it, i mean this is crucial and then when we look at everyone shaking their heads like how did this happen in this cycle well now you see what happened right this is part of the story um so you know, I'll just close with this. I said this earlier in, in the thread with some of my girls. We will always lose to the Trumps of the world because we're too busy being problematic and fighting for crumbs. Uh, we have to be able to see the bigger picture. And we're not going to be able to win every single argument. We're not going to be able to win every single, you know, pissing contest out there. There are really big things at stake and we're going to have to pick and choose our battles. But we do need to have as united a front and figure out what that mantle looks like to achieve some of these goals going forward. Because I'll be damned if we're in 2020 and in 2021, we have super majorities of Republicans everywhere. And, and one of the things I didn't get a chance to talk to Dave about, and I'm real quickly as, as I kick it over to Ben, um, you know, it, it, it backfired a little bit on the Republicans too, because they ended up with that Tea Party, that resurging Tea Party wing that they could not control. And that's the last thing we need is to have an even greater entrenched version of that happening. Because as we see right now happening in Ohio, we have a six week abortion ban that they're trying to put on the books, which is insane. And, and who knows what else is going to be coming down the pipeline in some of these states. Um, so anyway, that has been the show for the evening. Uh, you know, stay engaged, stay active, stay involved. 
please continue to look out. You know, follow me on Twitter, The Way With Fanoa. Um, check out the website, thewaywithfanoa.com. Hit up the Patreon, cha-ching. A dollar, if you got a dollar, a dollar will help. Two dollars would be great. A dollar will help, though. Five dollars is lovely. Twenty-five if you're really feeling frisky. No, but seriously, I appreciate you guys so much. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. And Ben is getting ready to come right behind me at nine o'clock. So hang in there. All right. Good night. Noah.